When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, August 16th, the Call Me By Your Screen Name edition. I'm Gabriel Roth. I'm an editor at Slate, and I'm the father of Leo, who is four, and Eliza, who is seven. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, a journalist and podcaster who lives in New Hampshire, but is visiting New York today. I'm actually in person with Gabe. It's very exciting. I am mom to Henry, who is 17, Teddy, who is 15, and my stepdaughter, Lily, who is 18. And I'm Carvel Wallace, a writer and podcaster in Oakland, California, and I'm the father to Georgia, who is 12, and Ezra, who is 15. Today on our show, we have a question about a teenage boy who is engaging in online flirtation with an older man. And another question about a six-year-old pathological liar. Plus, as always, we'll have triumphs, we'll have fails, we'll have recommendations. On Slate Plus, Rebecca will tell us some tales from the college tour circuit. Uh, let's start with triumphs and fails. Carvel, across the country from us, uh, why don't you go first? Do you have a triumph or a fail this week? I it, I have a triumph, which is uh, Georgia started school. The summer is over. Um, there is a, a miniature fail built into that, which is that, as some of you rem- may remember, we have this tradition of riding the the Ferris wheel at Santa Cruz in the last day of summer as a way of reflecting on all the events of the summer. And this was a really big summer for both kids and a lot of emotional stuff and travels and experiences. And we didn't do that this year because the Ferris wheel is now permanently closed. And... It feels super weird. And the other thing that's weird this year is that Georgia started a week earlier than usual because I guess OUSD Teachers Union voted to start earlier um, this summer. So she had an abbreviated summer. She went back to school and um, she is actually really excited about so many aspects of her eighth grade year. And um, so that's the triumph is that she is on yearbook, which she's really excited about. And she was telling me all about this morning. And yearbook is like half the yearbook of the half the year is like dealing with the yearbook. And the other half of the year is like being a journalist and doing interviews and doing like um, coming up with stories for the school paper. And, um, you know, and I just was like, wait, you're doing what I do for a job and you're doing it at school. That's the cutest thing ever. And she was telling me about it this morning and I almost cried in the car, but I did not. And um, But she's so excited. It's the one thing she's really happy for this year is that she gets to explore this extracurricular activity that I guess she has a lot of interest in, even though it's kind of the first I'm hearing about it. And uh, she's excited about that. She's also excited because her English teacher is a genderqueer person who she's really, she's like really interested in that. And she's been like talking a lot about that over the past few years. And this is like her first time having a teacher who's genderqueer and she's excited about that. And she just has a lot of hope for the eighth grade year, which is so interesting because, you know, most people hate eighth grade and she (laughs) may end up hating it. But it's just nice to have this week long period in which she is like bubbly and excited about all the opportunities. 
I have a question about your school's structure. Is eighth grade uh, the oldest grade? Is she like in a middle school situation? It's the old, yeah, it's the oldest grade of the middle school. So yeah. this is like her effective mini, mini senior year. Yeah, that's good. That's yeah. better than yeah. where you know we are. It's uh, seven through twelve. And so the oh, middle schoolers, weird. even though when you're in eighth grade and you're the oldest middle schooler, you're still seeing high schoolers every day and have plenty of opportunity to feel terrible about yourself. <laughs> oh, no, that's so bad. <laughs> no, 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 no. Jordan definitely, like, walked on campus like she was a returning hero. I mean, mm. she's like, I watched her get out of the car and she's, like, high-fiving teachers and, like, you know. <laughs> you know Slow-mo. <laughs> making, fi- making finger guns at seventh graders. And, you know, she's, like, really feeling herself. So <laughs> go, Georgia. Get it. Yeah, good luck next year. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I have a triumph. It's going to be a quick triumph, but it's, you know, last week I was on vacation. We went away with uh, my brother and his family and their kids. So there was a lot of hanging out with the cousins and we did a lot of really fun stuff. And it was a great vacation, but I'm going to boil it down to a single triumph, which is we had a pool in the house where we were staying. And in the pool, uh, me and my brother and the four kids uh, made up a game, a pool game called Kick You in the Face. <laughs> where what you do is you say do I'm going to kick you in the face and then you kick the person in the face with your foot but not too hard and the younger kids have like floaty devices and the older kids are like swimming and the grown ups are standing on the ground um and we played kick you in the face for like a good half an hour and it was really fun and nobody actually got hurt either in the face or in the foot um, so that's a triumph that I think doubles as a recommendation. Kick you in the face. I think that is the worst freaking idea I've ever heard. Yeah, in my I life. have to say. So this is a so a little bit of Wallace family history. My father <laughs> has had dentures since he like his entire adult life, and the exact reason he has dentures is because one summer when he was twelve years old, he was horse playing in a pool, and he like was joking around and grabbing his friends like shorts, and he grabbed this kid's shorts, and they kicked him in the face and knocked out his teeth. Well, but and so, so he's been missing teeth since he was 12 years old. I'm just saying. I mean, I'm just I'm just throwing it out there as a generalized warning. But so it's important to point out that that, it sounds like from the story, that was, he was kicked in the face not during a game sure, of kick you in the sure. face. He was kicked I'm in the face some overlapping, outside of the parameters diagram. of the game kick you in the face. My contention Absolutely. is that if everyone is playing, <laughs> is, is, is knowingly, explicitly playing kick you in the face, then you're less likely to sustain some sort of uh, face kicking related injury. So consent injury. plays a role. Is that what you're saying? Consent, consent abs- and, yes. and, and make it yes. not just consensual but safe and sane. Let's bring There's in no all, doubt that my all dad the was necessary in of uh, framework of BDSM for your family game of <laughs> kick you in the face. You are so going to regret wanna, making up this game when your kids are. I like just want to tell you, fifteen that I just, and sixteen. I, yeah, I'll just leave it at make sure your dental insurance is in good shape. That's all I'm going to say going forward. All I'm going to say is if you're listening to the show if you happen to be near a pool with your kids have a go try out the game <laughs> kick you in the face mom and dad are fighting is not liable for any injuries <laughs> wow <laughs> Rebecca have a your triumph or fail uh, I believe I am repeating a fail that I also had maybe even the same week when we recorded this podcast last year which is that I woke up this morning very early to get on the plane to come to New York from New Hampshire with Henry and we're driving to the airport and I turned to him and said, do you have any idea what the first day of school is? 
<laughs> I literally had no idea. I wasn't thinking about it. I haven't prepared anything. Nobody has any notebooks or loose leaf paper. Uh, luckily, he said, oh, I'm. it's the 28th. And I was like, all right, good. I have a little bit of... It could have been today. I had no idea. None. <laughs> Big fail. Huge. Well, yeah, that's fine. Worked out okay. Yeah. It's good that it wasn't today, though. Yeah, I know. Guess what? You're missing it, kid. Yeah. <laughs> that would also be fine. Yeah, that's good. That's cool. <laughs> Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Before we move on, let's do the business. As always, if you have a question that you would like us to tackle, you can leave us a message at 424-255-7833 or send us an email at slate.com. Uh, I want to remind you about Slate Day, a live podcast experience produced in connection with the Texas Tribune Festival. It's a full-day affair featuring a lineup of Slate's bold, curious, and politically-minded shows, including The Political Gab Fest, Trumpcast, Amicus, and The Gist. If you attend, you'll get to experience your favorite political podcasts live during a special day filled with Slate's thought-provoking analysis, witty banter, and exciting guest appearances. Slate Day takes place at the Capitol Factory in downtown Austin, Texas on Saturday, September 29th. So check out slate.com slash live for tickets right now. Also, if you're not yet a member of our Facebook group, you should really check it out. Uh, go on Facebook and search for Slate Parenting. There are so many good questions being posed, good answers being shared, triumphs and fails being compared. Uh, it's really a cool community. We moderate it so it doesn't get out of control and um, and it's just a lot of fun. Uh, go to Facebook and search for Slate Parenting. On Slate Plus today, Rebecca is going to tell us about her son Henry's college visit, which is why she's here in New York with us. If you want to hear that segment and an extra segment of this show every week, uh, sign up for Slate Plus. Uh, you get ad-free extended versions of all your favorite Slate podcasts, and uh, you're helping us make the shows as well costs just $35 for your first year. ton of great benefits. If you want to support mom and dad or fighting, go to slate.com slash mom and dad plus. Sign up for Slate Plus today. Okay, let's go. Time to take a question from a listener. If you'd like to get some advice from the lady who forgets when the first day of school is <laughs> and the guy who invented the game kick you in the face, send an email to momanddad at slate.com or give us a call at 424-255-7833. Uh, here's a question that came to us over email. Dear mom and dad are fighting. My husband and I have a wonderful son who is almost 18, a senior in high school next year, and who came out to us as gay when he was 14. We love him unconditionally, support him, and affirm his LGBTQ identity. Our issue is that recently, our son was messaging someone at the dinner table. When we asked who it was, he became very evasive before finally telling us it was a man that he matched with on Tinder. As we were discussing with him, our son revealed that the person was 25 years old and that they were planning to go out on a date soon. My husband flipped. He demanded to see my son's phone to review their messages and threatened to take our son's phone away if he didn't comply. The messages seemed innocuous enough to me. They were flirtatious, but I didn't see any red flags. The person's age bothers me, 
but it enrages my husband. He believes our son is not old enough to engage in a relationship with someone of the other man's age. He forbade my son from ever talking to this man again. Now our son is calling us homophobes. He believes the only reason my husband is having an issue is that they're both males. Am I being too lax and not seeing this as a problem? How do I help my son see we love him unconditionally? Help. I I acknowledge going into this that I, I this question, it has come to my attention, is more confusing and, and has more layers potentially than I first thought it had when I read it. Uh, the first thing that, that stuck out to me um, is that your son will be 18 next year. And technically, your ability to tell him and forbid him what he can and can't do is arguably null and void, depending on, you know, sort of how you view 18. Now, I'm not saying that 18 year olds are adults, uh, but I am saying that we, I think, give agency to kids, especially good kids, kids who make good decisions, kids we love and start trusting them to make choices when they're teenagers. And 18 is an old teenager. Uh, The one thing that concerns me here is the use of a dating app. Uh, as a teenager in high school still. Um, at the table. At the table. At the dinner but table. Also j- just you shouldn't be using <laughs> texting and phones well, at the dinner that's, table. That's it's a separate corrosive issue. to family life. It's, that's the real okay, issue so, here. So texting at the dinner table is one thing. But the use of a dating app that matches you with people you've never met in real life is something that would concern me uh, if my kid was still in high school, no matter what, because it is actually <laughs> matching your kid with somebody they've never met in real life. And that's a different calculus than, you know, my son met a 25 year old man at the grocery store or at his job or met him through some, you know, activity that he was doing or at the movies or whatever. It's a different kind of situation. So. I think your husband's reaction, I'm sad to say, is not going to discourage uh, not only the use of the app, but also your son's feelings toward this person he's never met. Because the forbidding is not really a great way to go into this. Um, I think it would be more simpler. When I first read the question, I thought your son was 18 and I was going to say, oh, there's much you can do. Um but I've since been uh, told that it might be more complicated than than my thinking so far. So I'm curious to know what you guys think. I it does feel to me like the father's reaction is is likely based on the gender orientation, sexual orientation dynamics at play here. It would be hard for me to fully discount that. Um, I mean, I did the thought experiment of, of okay, what if this was a 17-year-old boy and a 25-year-old woman? And then I was like, what if it's a 17-year-old daughter and a 25-year-old man? And it's like, I imagine that there would be varying responses. I think that whenever your kid is dating someone, it's not to say that the responses would be entirely different from one another or oppositional, but I do think that they, there would probably be, <laughs> the dad would probably have a different amount of um, my period husband period flipped. There might be less of that if if different parts of this thing were moved around. And um, I, it, yeah, you you as a you know like in the specific situation you 
your kid interacting with the world is always a scary thing. And the internet allows for that. And then your kid at 17 interacting with an adult, a stranger from the internet, is going to make any parent uncomfortable. That is a fact. There's nothing wrong with being uncomfortable. There's nothing unusual about that. That's going to make you nervous. It's going to make any of us nervous. The question is, how do you deal with that? Do you... Um, you know, do you freak out and st- take the phone and forbid and lock the kid in a room? And like Rebecca is suggesting, I don't think that that's actually the thing here. That doesn't make a whole lot of reasonable sense. I think that at 17, you do have to accept that your kid is going to be making decisions that you don't fully approve of or or agree with. And you're going to have to prepare them to think critically about the whole situation. And you're going to, that means providing them with information and background and telling them when your concerns are. And of course, like, they're going to be like, that's, you're being ridiculous. That's crazy. But part of the way that you break through that wall of denial is by not having it implied that you think there's something wrong with them. My experience with teenagers is that they really hate it if they think the core of your argument is you don't know enough, you're not smart enough, you're not good enough. That just drives them crazy. So I think that in in reacting in this way, this kind of like uh, Rapunzel-like response that the dad cooked up, I think that the main problem with that, putting aside whatever possible homophobia is there, which I, again, think is probably a factor, putting that aside, the other main problem with that is that it the underlying assumption is I don't believe that you're good enough or, or smart enough to understand the world. And so I'm going to intervene and control and manage and dominate and scold and nag and complain and control you. And that is, even though as parents, we sometimes want to do that in moments of desperation or fear, that's not great. I also think that I don't know that there's, I mean, so, so there's the fear aspect, but then there's the question of, is this wrong or how wrong is this? I don't necessarily 100% agree that this is fundamentally a problem. I'm a little bit more on the mom side in that I don't necessarily just in what's described see red flags. I think if this were my kid, I would look for red flags. I'd want to stay connected to the situation to see if other red flags were appearing. But the mere fact that this person is talking to someone, I don't like it. I have my own concerns. I don't think that in and of itself is absolutely a red flag. I think that... You know, there's the question of like of uh, of age of consent. And that's something that I would talk with my kid very accurately and like clearly about. And I would definitely be like, if if you like this person and you don't want them to go to jail or be on uh, be on a, a, a sex offender registry for the next 3000 years, this isn't you can't act on this in any way, shape, or form. And that's something that I would be really clear about. I find that kids don't fully understand the reality of sex offender databases and how people end up on them. They make a lot of mistakes that they think are just innocent kids like playing with sexuality stuff that ends up can have draconian consequences. And whether or not you think this offender's database is like fully a good thing is putting that aside. I think I would have a very frank conversation with my kid about that. I would also have a frank conversation about what my fears are, concerns, abuse, manipulation, et cetera, et cetera, Tell, give them the tools to look out for themselves because that's the age they're reaching. And uh, But I don't think that you can lock them in a room. I just don't. Uh, our producer, Ben Frisch, has some thoughts on this question. I want to bring him on. What do you think, Ben? Hi. Hello. <laughs> hey, Ben. Uh, <laughs> so... Um, yeah, I think this question is really interesting for a couple of reasons. I do think that Carvel is right in that homophobia actually does tie into a lot of our ideas about 
um, older men sort of preying on younger men. But I think there are a couple of caveats. One thing is that Tinder, um, you have to be 18 to use Tinder. So there's actually, I think, a pretty good chance that this other man doesn't actually know that your son is 17. Um, it used to be that Tinder would allow you could be 14 and be on Tinder hmm. um, and you could only message people that were 14 to 17. And now it's just like you have to be 18. So I think that that is sort of maybe a complicating factor. Um, another thing that I sort of thought of is like there actually is in in the gay world a kind of um these kinds of relationships or, or mixed age relationships like really are more common. Um, I think they're modeled a lot more in the gay community. Uh, but there is also, you know, the film Call Me By Your Name has a, you know, a romance with almost the exact same age difference. Um, uh, that that said, the difference between somebody who is, say, 25 and 32, I think is pretty different than somebody who is 17 and 25. Um there's a real difference in maturity there, which I think is something that you need to, uh, you know, be aware of. Let me ask you something. Mm -hmm. Why do you think relationships like that are more common among gay men than they are among, uh, you know, straight couples? Uh, there's a lot of reasons for that. I think <laughs> it, it has to do with, um, security sometimes. Uh, there's, certainly been a lot of speculation about you know Freud, for freudian reasons but i think a, another a major one is um like younger men looking for you know protection financial social whatever um but also looking for partners right yeah because if you're in high school you know the the the, the chances that everyone who's gay is out is less right than when you're in your 20s. Mm -hmm. So if you're looking for somebody to love, you might have a bigger pool to choose from if yeah. you like move your age range outward, right? Yeah, exactly. And some some guys are just into older men. Like that is just that is just a thing. Um and so I'm not like I when I when I read this question it's like I think that there's definitely room for concern and I'm not exactly sure how you should address this. Um, so Rebecca, like what do you think is the best way to like actually deal with this? Like the, this kid is not going to want to like have a chaperone to date with right. his parents. Right. I'll tell you that I have always felt this way that when you're concerned about one of your kids relationships with a person outside the house and this, I can see there are for yeah. parents, there are scary factors yeah. here. One of which is if your son decides like screw you guys like he could potentially move out because a 25 year old maybe has the financial faculty to like take your child and support them in a way that you know there would be an alternative place for them to live and be so i think there's fear there and i've always felt that when my kids have had even it hasn't happened romantically but friend relationships even with people that i had concerns about for other reasons my tactic is always bring them in closer, like Absolutely. have be open, yep. be ask questions, yep. uh, explore, say, you know, I, I'd want to know why my son was using Tinder. How come you're using Tinder to meet people? I'm just curious to know, like how that came to be uh, after they start seeing each other. I would start using the person's name in conversation, bringing him up at dinner, like encouraging my son to talk about him, learning more. Um there's no better way to scare away a bad guy, bad guy than to open the door and invite them into your house. Because if they're a bad guy, they won't want to come in, typically. Yeah, I mean, that's I'm, that's always been my way of handling these situations. <laughs> I mean, I would take that one better. As a parent, my impulse would be to start, I mean, 
Because again, the primary thing is, it's just like the undergirding philosophical thing here is, if you make your kid feel like you flat out don't trust them and don't think they're smart enough or good enough, well, then they're going to be really motivated to prove to you that you're wrong, which is how you get oppositional behavior and forcing kids in the other direction. And like teenagers are already predisposed to do that. And parents, I think a lot of times we play into that by trying to lord over them that we have more experience than them. So I think that you kind of want to do the opposite. I, I would go so far as to even start to lay the groundwork to meet this person. Like that. Like what, what Rebecca said to me would all be a buildup to like, hey, bring them by. Like me, like whatever, you know, like I don't necessarily want to like <laughs> chaperone them on the date, like hang out in the mall, like while they're, you know what I mean? While they're at the like Orange Julius or what have you. But like, I am going to be, st- I am going to Aunt start Annie's. to. Yeah, exactly. Classic <laughs> gay hangouts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I can confirm. Uh, I, I will, I would also say, I mean, one thing to consider is like, this is a Tinder date. They will probably right. meet once. Right. You know, and then never again. Right, right. Well, that's reassuring. Uh-huh. <laughs> but then won't he learn something from that? Right? I'm, I'm sure I he'll mean, learn a great deal. Right. Well, Tinder is like, so, <laughs> so okay, here's game. another thing. For, for straight people, like Tinder is a hookup app. For gay people, it is not nearly as much of a hookup app. Right, because there's Grinder for that. Yeah, like you have a whole you have a whole star system of yeah. hookup apps right. for gay people, and so Tinder is actually much like is actually a place that you go to find dates. Um, it's a match. Yeah, and whether whether that is what is necessarily going on here, I'm not actually sure. But right. j- just in the j- casual use of the app, it is somewhat different for for gay people right. than it is for for straight people. Something I keep thinking about is, it, of, of course, it's reasonable that the the son is is uh, alert to the possibility of homophobia on the part of the father, even though it seems like the parents are generally very accepting. Then, of, of, like, of course, it would be hard to say if you were a parent in that circumstance. It were, it, like, can you be sure that homophobia isn't part of your response here? I don't know that you could really. At at the same time. I think about, as Carvel said, you can think about other equivalent or analogous situations. I think about a 17-year-old girl and a 25-year-old man. I'm also a little worried if that's my daughter in the same way that I would be if it's my son. And I don't think it's wrong to be suspicious of, like, older male predatory sexuality in a way that is not necessarily inherently homophobic in a way that's just like male sexuality has a fucking dark side and and you're right to be nervous about your kids getting involved with that especially getting involved with a situation that involves anonymity or involves the internet or involves someone who doesn't come with an entire social context and someone who is eight years older than them um yeah I think there like there's reasonable cause for you know alertness and suspicion and worry separate from questions about you know that are specific to this being a gay relationship. Assuming this guy actually thinks that he is knows that he's 17 in high school. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean <laughs> yeah. even if like if the if the son is is trying to fool the older guy, he's at most saying he's 18 or 19, right? He's not claiming to be 23. Maybe. We don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I mean, but no one's disagreeing that there's cause to be concerned. I think the question is like, what is this, what is the strategic way you deal with that? Like, what is the best way to deal with the existence of that concern with your son? I think that's the question. Like, everyone agrees that, like, in all these scenarios, no matter what they are, if your 17 year old child of any gender is currently flirting through, uh, an app with a 25 year old of any gender, there's going to be some concern as a parent. The question is how 
do you express that how, and how do you mitigate against that? And I think that like, you know, this thing you said, Gabe, about him, the 25 the, the year old lacking social context, that gets to what Rebecca's saying. You create social context for that person. Like, that's what you start to build. You start to, like, let them be a part of your soul. You, you make it possible for them to have a little more light around who they are and where they come from and what their interest is, because that's how you address that issue. And I think it, Rebecca's right that if this person does indeed have nefarious, manipulative and abusive intent, then it's uh, it's it's like it's a little bit like a car alarm. You know, it's like, does it stop you from breaking into the car? No, but it makes the like cost of doing it a lot higher. And I think it's the same thing with any dating scenario that you have any concerns about, which is that if the if you make your family, if, if the person has to interact with not only the the person, but the family, if, if the person that they're dating is not isolated, is not separated from their support unit, then it makes it a lot harder to enact systemic abuse. And if that's what your concern is, then I think that's how you mitigate against that. All right. Thanks so much for that question. Um, really interesting to talk about. I uh, hope you'll write back. Let us know how it goes. Uh, if it works out, bring them both on the program and and um, good luck at the wedding. I hope it goes well. And invite us to the wedding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, thanks to Ben Frisch for joining. Sure. Thank you. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Okay, let's move on to another question. This one also came to us by email. It's being read for us again by Shasha Leonard. Dear mom and dad are fighting. My son is nearly six, first grade in a few weeks. He has some behaviors that trouble me. He's bright and very sociable, but he lies to his friends and parents in order to impress people and inflate his accomplishments. Most recent example, yesterday, he came home from camp with a bracelet that said he'd won for finding the gnome. I was excited for him and asked about how he found it and he told me a whole story about it, and even wore it to bed. I believed he was proud of his accomplishment. Beads and bracelets are coveted prizes at camp. When I dropped him off this morning, I saw one of his friends and said hello. The friend was excited to tell me that he had received the bracelet yesterday, but had let my son wear it until the bus ride home today. This sort of thing is a regular occurrence. My son tries very hard to impress others. We have a large extended family, and we all love him to pieces. We act in plays that he creates, sing together, read, take trips, and show love for one another. We try our best to give our kids a good foundation of love and support. It seems like he's insecure in who he is, and it breaks my heart. I want him to feel confident that he's likable and lovable as he is, and I really want him to stop telling lies and false narratives to impress. It's hurtful to be lied to as a parent, and will cause so many problems in his friendships. Growing up, my younger brother behaved the same way. My parents used to call me the reality police. I think I was a mean older sister. I want to be sensitive to my son's developing psyche. But I also want this behavior to stop. Thank you. I have pretty strong feelings about this question. This is what not only uh, I think, but a lot of professionals in the field that you might read about or talk to, professionals that I talked to when my kids were younger and broached some of these same issues, uh, would say is an attention-seeking lie, which 
is a level one lie. I mean, there are a lot of reasons why little kids lie. It is a hallmark of psychological development. It's actually a sign of intelligence. Uh, Parents tend to think that kids lie because they're trying to avoid a consequence or because, um, you know, they have some sort of nefarious, hurtful reason. And you stated that in your question. You said, it's hurtful to me when my kid lies. When you say that, you are implying that your son is lying to hurt you. That is not the case. I guarantee it. Your son is lying to seek attention. Your son is lying because he wants you to be proud of him. He wants to uh, come across as cooler, better, more accomplished than he is. What is the consequence of that lie? Um, It's not prison. It's not uh, losing a friend. It's not any of the worst case scenarios that I think you're playing out in your head what the consequence would be. This is a level one lie. It's a white lie. It is a lie of self-esteem. It's a lie of self-aggrandizement. And it's a small one. It's about finding a gnome, which I don't even know what that means, but it sounds like it's something that's (laughs) never going to happen in real life. Uh, The advice that I got when my kids were little, and one of them in particular has, you know, this sort of impulsivity uh, toward lying or definitely did when he was younger, it was just sort of reflexive, was to ignore it and move on. Don't acknowledge it. Don't ask follow-up questions. Don't do the lie trap, the perjury trap, as it's now being talked about (laughs) in the public lexicon. Just say, oh, okay, that's interesting, and move on. Because what your son is trying to do is seek attention. Either you praise him terrifically because he found the gnome, or you yell at him terrifically because your feelings are hurt for something he did, which was not intentionally hurtful. Either way, you are rewarding the behavior by giving him the attention he is seeking, If you want him to stop this behavior, which is attention-seeking, which is about that, then don't do that. Don't do those things. And most of all, do not, I beg you, make it about you because I promise it is not. Ignore it and move on. Yeah, I guess the only thing I would add to that is that it is in a way about you because it's obviously something that's really, really difficult for you as a person. Growing up, your parents used to call you the reality police, um, which suggests that there's something uncomfortable for you about existing in a situation where something's being said that can't be relied upon to be true, where there's a statement that like, you know, the son says, oh, I won the prize, I found the gnome, and then it turns out that that isn't true, and that that is uh, disequilibrating to you in, in some way that's very difficult. Um, and it, it seems to me that that's the thing to address. The thing to address is your discomfort with a six-year-old telling stories, which is a, it's a very natural thing for a six-year-old to do, but it, it, it obviously feels really hard for you. And so you're in a tough situation. It's your kid, and they're making the world unbalanced and difficult for you. Um, so I, the way I would think about the kid's behavior is that this kid is experimenting that like the kid sees, you know, you win the contest, you find the gnome, you get a reward and everyone praises you. And those seem like good things to have. And I want to have those good things. So let's see how I could get it. I could get it by winning the contest and finding the gnome, but I wasn't able to do that. My friend found the gnome before me. Maybe his gnome hunting skills are greater than mine, or maybe he got <laughs> lucky. Um, but either way, now I'm, I'm going to see if there's another way that I can get all those good things. Maybe what if I just say I found the gnome? Maybe then I'll get all the same good things that came to my friend. And maybe that's how the world works. Maybe the world works on the basis of what claims you make and and maybe all the rewards in the world flow to people who make claims for themselves rather than people who actually do the hard gnome searching work of 
finding the gnome. Uh, and, you know, that's a reasonable thing for this kid to be testing out. The kid is six. He doesn't know how the world actually works. He doesn't know, you know, how the rewards actually flow to either the people who work very hard or the people who are able to um, stake a claim and become rentiers and and um, capture more of the profits through uh, extortion and, and expropriation. Um, he's trying to see if the strategy of just saying, I found the gnome and I won is enough to win the prize. And it turns out it isn't. And you can show him that, as Rebecca said, by just saying, oh, huh. And um, certainly not by, you know, putting him on trial for it or or really getting to the bottom of the question of who actually discovered the gnome, which I, I think is not really the issue. Hmm. This is this relationship strikes me as a very interesting combination of personalities between this this parent and child. You have the reality police versus the creator. And like this child is a creative person. It's it says here that we act in place, he creates, we sing songs together. And uh and then there's a really interesting turn of phrase here like a, a like a linked thought where where the letter writer says, um, it's hurtful to be lied to as a parent. Growing up, my younger brother behaved the same way, which says to me that this is not really, like Gabe said, this is about you insofar as this is your issue and not as much your son's. I mean, I think that a six-year-old, not every six-year-old lies to the same extent, but all six-year-olds lie. And I think that there is a form of lying that has to do with intelligence and creativity. And what happens if you think of the way I think about kids is like they're born with all these personality things and then they spend a lot of time learning how to use them effectively and 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 they do that by making mistakes. And so, um, you know, I think a lot about I had one one of my kids who I, I guess I mean, he's open about the story. So Ezra, when he was in sixth grade, started this. <laughs> he started telling kids at his school that he had two sisters. One of them was a drug addict and had been in and out of jail. And the other one was like in the army or something. He had this whole elaborate, like false, like second life <laughs> that he told all his kids at school that was his life. And uh, he came home and told me that he did that. And he was very open about the fact that he did that because he was a little older. And I was like, that's, I feel like that's going to come back to bite you. Son. Like, <laughs> <laughs> he was like, no, no, no. And I was like, we, he and I kind of went back and forth. I tried to explain like, here's why we don't lie. And here's what, you know what that's about and what's underneath that. But he wasn't seeing it my way because he had his own vision for how he wanted to navigate the world. And what he wanted to do was he thought he would get more out of life if he had this compelling narrative backstory than the one he had, which is that he's got this boring dad and this boring sister and this boring regular life. And that is a personality trait that he has, but was using in a way that was ultimately causing him problems. He eventually had to, he got, of course, it was found out that he didn't have these things. He had to like tell all his friends that he had lied and, you know, whatever. That was, that was like one of the dramas of his sixth grade year. But the thing is, he had a fundamental kind of like interest in stories and in and in ideas and in like the ways that different ways that people could be. Now, that in and of itself isn't a negative thing. And what happens is he just he just hadn't learned how to use it in a way that was best yet. He was experimenting. And that's what it sounds like you have with this kid. You have a six-year-old who's interested in plays, interested in storytelling, creative, fun, well-loved, has friends, et cetera, and is experimenting with, like like Gabe said, like, what would happen if I was the one who found the gnome? Wouldn't that be awesome? Mm. It's, it's a flight of fancy. It's a flight of imagination. He enjoys feeling like he found the gnome. 
You know what I'm saying? Like he enjoys the feel. He enjoys people thinking that he found the gnome. He enjoys thinking he himself found the gnome. That is not. I think there's a lot of projecting forward going on here. And I think that projecting forward is fueled by the fact that this mother herself is has a certain set of issues, lingering resentment about her brother, a certain kind of like, I mean, I, I'm not the person's therapist, so I'm not going to get all into it. But yeah, my point on. is that, <laughs> my, <laughs> tell me about your childhood. But my point is that this is about the mother having her own set of issues and then foisting those on her son. I right. think what the son is doing is not is is like obviously we all know that that's not a healthy working long-term strategy. We're certainly free to communicate that to the kids. We get to communicate it whenever we want. But there's a difference between letting a kid know that you think something is not a working strategy and thinking that they're wrong for doing it. Right. And thinking that they're being hurtful to you for doing it. That's a big leap. And I think in parenting, it's really important to separate those two things. Like Rebecca said, if you take this personally and make this about you, I don't know what will happen with the lying, but I know what will happen with your relationship, which is that it will cause damage to it. Accept your son for who he is. He's a good, he sounds like a good kid. He's creative. He's interesting. He's developmentally appropriate. He's got, you know, and, and so I think that he needs you to like love and accept him. And part of that accepts, it means accepting the fact that he's experimenting with lying right now. And you can state your opinion about that, but don't make the mistake of letting him think that that is, has to do with what you think about who he is. Yeah. And, and there is another line in the email that, you know, it, it, it concerns me along those lines where she says, you know, she does that whole paragraph about how they have this wonderful family. They act in plays that he creates. They take trips together. Uh, you know, they, they do our best. And it seems like he's insecure in who he is. And it breaks my heart. That's casting. You know, you are telegraphing to your kid. I promise you, if that's who you think he is, that's who he thinks you think he is. You know, he probably doesn't feel insecure. He probably feels like a six-year-old and he has a mom who believes he's insecure. And if you were six, what would your strategy be to overcome that, right? Maybe a little more confidence, maybe a little more puffing up of accomplishments, maybe a a few white lies about things that you accomplished that you didn't actually accomplish. (laughs) So (laughs) there's another layer here of maybe a little self-fulfilling prophecy, too, of if you're telegraphing to your kid that you're heartbroken because they're insecure about who they are, what's one way they're going to try to communicate to you that they're not? So break the cycle. <laughs> Just you know, get, get try to try to get those feelings, you know, in hand. And over time, I promise, like it won't do your kid any good at school and with friends to tell stupid stories that make no sense to anybody or that are lies. It'll, it usually clears itself up on its own because it's not socially acceptable in their own circles. All right. Bottom line, try to stop being the reality police. Definitely don't <laughs> hand him over to the reality prosecutors and the reality criminal justice system. In the reality criminal justice system, the people are represented by two different yet equally important reality groups, the reality police, etc. I'll stop there. Um, hope this works out. Um, let us know how it goes. Thanks for your letter. Uh, if you uh, want to send us a question for us to discuss, email us at momanddad at slate.com or give us a call at 424-255-7833. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. 
They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. It's time for that part of the show now where we uh, suggest or, or endorse different products, different goods or services or practices that, that we've found to be beneficial over the course of our uh, parenting. It's a segment that we like to call Recommendations. Uh, Rebecca, would you like to recommendate something? I am actually going to crib a recommendation made by a member of the Mom and Dad Are Fighting Facebook group. Uh, Mel was responding to a thread in which somebody said that my recommendation of the show Amazing Interiors on Netflix was great. And her family loved it. Uh, and someone else said that this they also... This isn't for you to plug your I'm previous saying, recommendation. Saying, this is not about says, how great you people how much listen, love like, your listen, recommendation. It's relevant. Right. It's getting there. Right. I'm going to tie it together. I'm, else, rec- way, I'm recommending my recommendations. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Someone else also said that, by the way, my recommendation of World of Dance was also amazing. But then Mel wow. said, <laughs> if your family liked those shows, if they were hits in your family, you should check out the show Making It with Amy Poehler and Nick Offerman. It's a reality competition show with two very charming and funny people with a series of craftsmen with uh, challenges where they have to make things. Apparently, it's positive and pastoral and lovely and funny and full disclosure I have not seen it but based on Mel's recommendation I'm going to check it out and I trust her because she so highly rated my two previous recommendations that I'm going to go on a limb and recommend making it which is on NBC and Hulu wow that was a, a recommendation hall of mirrors that's right, right. There. that's right a uh, fun house I'm going to recommend <laughs> I'm going to recommend a movie that we saw when we were on vacation in California it's a movie called Teen Titans Go to the Movies <laughs> yes it's a movie Teen version of the so popular good. television program Teen Titans Go, but they appended to the movies to the title because now it's a movie. It was funny. It was quite yes. exciting. Uh, my mm. four-year-old enjoyed it. My seven-year-old enjoyed it. Their cousins who were three and six enjoyed it. And I, a middle-aged man, also enjoyed it. Um, check it out. Teen Titans Go to the Movies. Carvel, what do you recommend? I am recommending an app that was made for kids, but I use it for myself. Tinder? <laughs> <It's called> I- <laughs> Wow. Sorry. Nice. <laughs> that was good, Rebecca. That was your one good joke. <laughs> when um, Rebecca's in the studio, things get a little loose. Sorry, guys. This is very good. Um, so uh, I'm recommending an app called Our Pact, which is a terrible app name. No offense to the makers of Our Pact, but it's Our, O-U-R-P-A-C-T is an Our Agreement. And it's, a, it's, an, it's an app blocking app. So it's an app that basically allows you to remotely deny your kids access to all the apps on their phone except for the ones that came with the phone. Like, so anything that was downloaded, any games, any social media, et cetera, everything is completely removed from their phone for an appointed amount of time, one hour, two hour, three hours, five hours, whatever. It's a way to remotely control your kid's screen time. So Carvel, how did you discover this? Well, I have a big problem with procrastination. I can I, ask you that if you want. Would you, would you like me to ask you that? So, no, Carvel, I've already asked myself. How did you discover this? In case you weren't paying attention. Check the tape, Gabe. I already asked myself. And, uh, and, and I, I have this terrible problem with procrastination. I am just like a more advanced and older and hairier and out of weight version of my son, Ezra, who cannot focus, who struggles with time organization or whatever. Had this big, like, due date thing for this big piece I'm writing, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I have to block these apps. I cannot 
every time I get to a part of the work that I struggle with, I then go, oh, I'll just take a break and look at social media, cut to seven hours later. And so I decided to download this app blocker and it's called Our Pact. And the way it works is that you have a control device and then you have a blocked device. So ideally, the parents have this control device where they can use the app to remotely block the device that is at your kid's school or in your kid's bedroom or whatever. Now, since I was using my own phone, I made I thought I would game the system by making my phone both the control device and the blocked device. So I download the app. I set it all up. I'm like, no, it's the same phone. I, I put in, you know, the same phone number twice for the two devices. And then I'm like, okay, how does this work? So I so then I hit I open up the app and I'm screwing around and I hit the button that says block and every app on my phone literally disappears right in front of me. Mm-hmm. Like it's gone. Including the app that I used to block the phone. <laughs> so <laughs> So I couldn't get the app to unblock until the the time was over, which was in this case, I think four hours is what I sort of set. So for four hours, my phone could do nothing except make phone calls. I still had texting, which I did make some use of, but it's like no, no app that doesn't come with the phone when you buy it new is accessible for the blocked time. It works tremendously well. So it's uh, lately I've really been interested in like screen time solutions, not only for my kids, but for myself. And so I'm recommending our pact because it's actually it's actually amazing. All right. We'll put links to that app and, of course, the popular movie uh, Teen Titans Go to the Movies, as well as whatever show Rebecca hasn't seen on our show page, (laughs) uh, which you can find at the Facebook group. Uh, Go to Facebook and search for Slate Parenting. That's our show. If you have a question that you want us to tackle, you can email us at slate.com or call us at 424-255-7833. Our show is produced by Benjamin Frisch. For Carvel Wallace and Rebecca Lavoie, I'm Gabriel Roth, and we'll see you next week. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.